<laughs> Welcome to Evolving Us. <laughs> I'm Ashley. I'm Julia. And we're so grateful to be recording again after a week off of unprecedented. <laughs> we tried. Yes. Yeah, so last week, of course, it was the holidays and Julia was in Italy and I was in the Outer Banks in North Carolina. Actually, it's called Outer Banks. I get in trouble. <laughs> Chad told me I'm not a local if I call it the Outer Banks. I have to call it Outer Banks. <laughs> oh, but uh, yeah, we just couldn't get the tech going. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. We're back. We're back. And we're so happy to be back because this time is so special and sacred. And I feel like we really fill up our tanks when we come together and recap a little bit of our shit. Well, speaking of Italy, no. Oh, you want to go right there? No. Let's start with the topic. Yeah. So our topic is everyday anxiety and stress. And how we manage it. How we manage it, yeah. And and or not, not just... <laughs> or not. Um, and not just everyday anxiety or stress, but how we create sometimes a bigger scare, hairy, scary ball of stress than actually needs to be based on allowing ourselves to spiral. Or being conditioned by external factors. Yeah, that you're supposed to always be like, yeah. all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Speaking of, lately I've been, I'm actually in a 300-hour training program right now. And uh, it's actually requiring me to do absolutely nothing a lot of times during the day. And I don't mean nothing, meaning I'm not doing anything. I mean, there's a lot of required reading, a lot of videos that I have to sit and watch. um, And that makes me slow down. And I I catch myself procrastinating so much to avoid it because Mm. my conditioned being is like, oh, I have to be stressed and like work on work shit. (laughs) Um, So yeah, but because this topic is so, I think, fresh all the time for all of us, especially right after the holidays and um, especially during New Year's time of year, all these resolutions. (laughs) So many ideas how to be better. Yeah. Um, I'd love to start with your most recent intensive experience and and how that went. If you're down from Italy, I think it's a valuable story to share. Yeah. I actually really wanted to talk about this because... It's so top of mind for me and I think that in telling you just about my experience and vocalizing a lot of what I was feeling, um, I had a lot of conscious reactions to situations, pulling myself out the best I could and I think that, I mean, I attribute that to the overall place I'm in and the work that I do. And so the reason why I really wanted to talk about anxiety and stress is overall my trip to Italy was, (laughs) I'm smiling because I don't (laughs) want to be careful how I define this, but um, the trip in itself was very enjoyable in the sense of I was in a way forced to spend quality time with the people that meant the most to me. And what I mean by forced is um, because of the pandemic and just because of 
what the outbreak is right now currently with COVID. And uh, especially in Italy. Italy's sensitivity to it previously. Right. Just arriving there, even prior to me leaving to go to Italy, um, my friends were in a frenzy and, you know, just like, oh, are you sure you want to come? Like everything's closing and just kind of like this general fear mongering that I don't buy into. And I was like, yeah, it's fine. And I'm like, I'm not coming there anyways to like go out. Like I'm coming there to spend time with my grandma. So it doesn't really make a difference. And then. And by the way, to recap for those that don't know you or your situation, Julia grew up in Italy. Right. And her grandma is still there and her grandfather passed away in 2019 so, January 2020, right? Oh, before, 2020. Right before the pandemic really hit Italy. Yeah. And so her Nona is out there all alone. So Julia made a really brave choice to leave her kids with her husband during the holidays, which I know was already hard for you. Yeah. To go spend time with Nona. So that was already a brave choice. I want to recognize you on that. Thanks. I didn't even think about it like that. <laughs> um, but yeah. I did leave the family during the holidays, which was really, um, I was so sad. Um, you left one f- part of your family to see the other part. Right. And I was, and it, it was like, I knew what I was doing in the sense of like, it was worth it to me and mm. it, it, it is worth it and it was worth it. Um, so because of the fact that we traveled to Greece and Italy in September, I mentally was in a place of like everything's going to be fine even though it's a complicated protocol to enter each country even when you have to just transfer there and just like the forms you have to fill out and the tests you have to do before arriving like I was like it is tedious but it's fine and the week prior to me leaving is when there was that huge like variant outbreak in New York and I was like well that's distant from us in the sense of like we're in California like I don't know it also mentally was like it didn't really hit home and how we can like validate because things are out of mind out of sight right exactly and so when I arrived in Italy um well basically all of my friends um they didn't so overtly say in order to see each other you have to take a rapid every day every day (laughs) um (laughs) but there was like a group chat going where it's like okay i just tested negative and people would post the picture of their negative test in the chat and um it was like okay you're just going to go with the flow of the masses and so i went and i took my tests and I was able to see four of my friends, or actually three of them, because one of them was semi-exposed to, like, her physical therapist, so I didn't get to see her till like, the day before I left. But, um, so I started testing literally every day in order to see my friends who, for their own conditioning, minus, like, the whole general situation in Italy, um... But, like, one of my friends has two young kids. They just got out of, like, both of them having COVID. Um, When COVID first hit, like, Italy was shut down literally for three months, which I didn't understand the severity of the situation until I was actually there for Christmas. And 
my friends explained to me like, look, we were literally locked in the house. We literally had a curfew and like we didn't experience that here. Like, yeah, Mm. the kids were home learning remotely, but it was not like I didn't experience the situation in the way that they did. So I understood obviously and respected and honored that like once they explained it to me that it felt so big and like this other wave is coming again. And so I understood the foundation. What I didn't understand until, I don't know, until really maybe I started talking to you, Ash, as I was there during my trip, but I didn't realize the effect of what this environment um, and what from my friends, just general behavior, I didn't realize how it affected me. Yeah. Well, and we don't really until we speak to someone on the outside. And it's and it's not to say that this pandemic is not a very serious conversation. Like, this is a big freaking thing. Like, this is a scary thing. And a lot of people are getting sick. And while I was on the East Coast, we were getting texts from all people in our community that they were all testing positive. And it was just like one after one after one going down. And I felt super helpless. And then my mom got COVID, but we'll go into that later. I just, um, there was a huge awareness around people becoming really ill. However, the energy around it, I think was different for you than it was for us over here. Like, I think people were getting it and they were like, this variant is not as bad. So like, I'm going to be okay. I just need to isolate. It was still scary. Um, but hearing you mentally crack at the seams from over there was pretty intense. Yeah. I mean, I think that, and someone in the community texted me, this is like before the holidays, not relevant to this story, but, um, she texted me curiosity because around, me growing up in Italy and how it was different and just like what it's like living there and what my friends are like there because she's Italian and she was just curious about like my upbringing and how this ties into my story is that I realized that like politically, socially, um, it's just very different there, right? Like there's this, okay, you have to quarantine for X amount of days. Like people are very, um, not fearful of the government, but like very regimented around the system that is offered to them. And that goes for like, not just the outbreak, it goes for a lot of different things. And so I think that being in that environment of surrounded by the only people I was seeing and their elevated state, and then just the way that like you had to abide by certain rules, like you have to wear a, you know, KN95 in order to like even be out in the street and just like certain parameters to follow on a day-to-day basis in order to socialize or in order to go out of the house even. Um, it It just started being routine for me like this daily COVID test thing, um, which by the way, I implemented until probably like the third day that I came back to LA. And then I was like, okay, I'll just go get a PCR and whatever. But um, I just think that I do understand logically in my head why things became so scary so fast and how I got like sucked in. And why is that? 
because of my surroundings and just because of everything that um, I explain socially, just like, okay, I have to follow these rules, which are different rules that I'm used to day to day. I'm surrounded by my friends who, by the way, like, I think they're um, mentally on a completely different wavelength as far as like, you know, where their fear goes, like from my day-to-day community and interactions here in the U.S., like completely, you know, 180 from what I was used to. So just being put into an environment that is completely different, surrounded by people's heightened state and emotion is what really started influencing me because my day-to-day started looking very different than what I was used to and influenced by external factors and daily protocols, which I started making my own, even though they weren't mine. Yeah. So. And that's like, this is a huge thing. This is not just, we're not just talking about Julia's trip to Italy here, right? It's how much do our external sources, the information we look at on the internet, the people we surround ourselves with, how much does that really influence the way that we feel internally and our ability to pull ourselves out of a mentally unhealthy space? Because we can we can look at something like a pandemic and take it very seriously, but still be healthy mentally, internally, and emotionally. Or we can look at something as big as a pandemic and feel overwhelmed literally melt like melt in the presence of it because it's scary shit and life for the rest of our lives we don't know what's in the future we also didn't know that this was ever going to happen but we can 100% guarantee that there will be other situations that are stressful and scary that have influencing factors of anxiety and that if we don't learn how to use something this big as a tool to strengthen our willpower, our ability to show up, our patterns, our habits, our routines of having self-care practices to navigate stress and anxiety. It's like, what was all this for? Yeah. And that's why I really wanted to talk about this because, which my story doesn't really end here, but I think that no, you're going to talk about the airport, the right? Culmination. You've got to talk yeah, about yeah. the airport. The culmination of my <laughs> story, it hasn't even, I haven't even gotten there, but I really was thinking about and thought a lot about how not just like, oh, my experience and, you know, what what's my part and just like, what's my truth and, and how do I get myself back there? It's like, this is one example of like, life is unpredictable and how am I choosing to act or react and um I definitely even though I consciously out loud via text was like this is where I'm at and it's I'm you know I'm struggling like I realized that this can apply to so many other situations right not just this is an extreme situation and again I think that everything happens for a reason and that's how actually we'll tie into the end of my story Um, at the airport (laughs) oh gosh but you know it really does it it's applicable across the board and it's really important for us to remember that we're here experiencing life we're here navigating through the wheel of suffering the ups and downs 
the mental, emotional, spiritual bodies and the interaction with other human beings and experiences, we're not here to just go through stressful shit and die. So looking at these things as an opportunity to strengthen our connection to practice, to overcoming, to rising, to to really creating victory. Yeah. What is the purpose? <laughs> yeah, and now that you're saying that, I would also like to fully own and, and highlight in the story that while I was in Italy, even though I still meditated, I wasn't really doing my routine, right? Which, mm. okay, it's like fine, can't you know, always do that. You can't always do that. And also, I think that when we are in this like, oh, I'm on vacation or, oh, I'm, you know, on a trip or whatever, like we we don't stick to our routine. And it's like, these are the consequences. Um, and it's not like, ooh, shame on me. <laughs> it's more so an awareness like um, when you rely on these certain factors to keep you steady, to keep you sane, to keep you on track, and then those are taken out and then you're put in a stressful environment or situation, um, the, the, this is how you react and this is how you are no longer or you feel like you're no longer resourced, right? So then this is how you get to the state that is so far away and disconnected from what you're used to and it took like very little time to get me out of my knowingness, right? Like a week, not even, like three yeah, days. Yeah, I still don't think it's like bad though, you know? No, of course not. I'm it's... just saying like taking out my routine too is something that I didn't mention and it's like that also was a contributing factor. That's yeah, all. for sure, for sure. And look what it reminds us of, you know? It reminds us of the sanctity of what our habits and practices look like and how they actually support everyday stuff. Yeah, and when I when when I say I'm like I was out of my routine, I literally mean like I didn't stick to like my regular schedule. I didn't do yoga every day even though I did movement, right? But just certain things were looked different. Mm-hmm. Um So, my trip back. <laughs> <laughs> well, first, I mean, when you and I went to Italy, we had a really hard time on the way back like just getting a test because obviously you have to test to come back into the U.S. And when we were trying to test, we had to go to all these different places the day before and come to find out. By the way, if I didn't have Julia, who spoke Italian, I would have not known how the fuck to get home. But we ended up having to go all the way to the actual airport to get the test of what we needed, a rapid the day before. And they're only open for certain hours. So if your flight is before these hours or after these hours, you're kind of fucked. And by the way, they don't care. (laughs) Yeah, like they don't care. (laughs) Yeah, which is like also so culturally and socially so different from the U.S. And what I mean by that is like I truly think that if you have – if you're willing to pay, like you can find answers in the U.S. or at least – Oh, yeah. You can get anything anytime. Right. It's like anything you have access to, like you need that COVID test, you could pay $200, go to any like private clinic, whatever – also, this goes into like a, a completely different healthcare system, right? But anyways, mm-hmm. I'm not going to go there. But the point is like, yes, that system that you experienced with me in Italy is still the same. And even... If not worse. It's actually way worse. But even though I knew what our obstacles were, 
when um when we went in September, I had so much like peace of mind that like, okay, like we just go to the airport and I'll show up like way early and I'll get it taken care of. And mind you, when you and I had that dilemma, it took us like hours to get to the airport because we didn't know where we had to go hmm. to get the test. But it once we got there, we got the test done. It was it was done. It was easy. Yeah. Well, this time around for me was completely different. And that's where my story begins of my return where it's like I went because you have to have either a 24-hour rapid to come back into the U.S. or a 48-hour PCR, which most PCRs don't come back within 48 hours, especially not in Italy. Um, so anyways, I went to the airport as I you know knew from our previous experience in September, so not many months ago prior it wasn't like a whole year before and um I ended up waiting six hours with like the biggest uncertainty if they were going to take me because the system that they were following was people who had appointments um because anyone any you know quote-unquote regular citizen could go and get a make a test to get a um make an appointment to get a test for a PCR or a rapid so that's an accessible um, resource through appointments because there's also like zero appointments through the system that you can book um, to get tested. And so I went there and they were taking appointments first and then people leaving like that exact day, like the girls in front of me in line, um, I don't know where they were going, but they were there before me at the airport and they had a flight at like 3 p.m. and they got their test at like, 2.30. Oh, God. It was like... It's uh, horrible. I was just like, this is just insanity. And then it becomes also like, how can I fight for my spot kind of situation because things are happening. You're like, well, I need to do it too. Yeah, and then all of a sudden your human compassion creates division because you're like, oh, God, I feel so bad for all these people. And then you're like, well, what about me? Like, I have to get home to my kids. Yeah. And so they were taking people flying that day in appointments. And then they're like, everybody else, we don't know if we'll get to you. And I was like, well, if you're open only from 8 a.m. to 2.45 p.m. daily. And it was like literally, you know, I was there since like 9 a.m. Um, and they took me as like one of the last appointments. But I'm like, well, if this, these are your hours. And my flight leaves before your operating hours tomorrow. Doesn't that count as a priority? Yeah. Um, for flight, because for traveling, because this resource that they have is at the air airport specifically because of the COVID parameters in order to travel to whichever country, whichever flights leaving from Florence, whether it's internal in Europe or, you know, international. So, yeah, I had a lot of stress there, not knowing if I could get the test, and I ended up waiting and I got my test. So I got my test and that stress was gone. And then that night and two days prior, I kept checking my flight online, making sure that it was on time. <laughs> I'm laughing because it's so ridiculous that I do that. But anyways, it comforts me. Um, so the night, my flight was supposed to leave at 6.30 a.m. And... That night after I packed and everything, I looked and it said that the flight had arrived from its previous destination and it was in Florence. And so 
go to sleep, peace of mind, blah, blah, blah. I get to the airport and I go to the check-in counter and the woman very nonchalantly says to me like, okay, well, here's your check-in information. Here's your boarding pass, but you're going to have to get on a bus to go to Bologna, which is a city an hour and a half away by car um, in order to get your flight. And I was just like, what? So I was surprised by the information. Number one, I knew that the lady in front of me, like she literally just told me none of the flights came in from the day before because of weather conditions. It was really foggy. And I was just like, okay, like I have to accept this information. So I took my boarding pass and she's like, okay, go downstairs. There's going to be all these buses going to Bologna because that's where all the flights came into. And I was like, okay. And then that's where like my panic started because I was like, wait, like how? I, Something's just, wrong. This does not, like I already saw that it was uh, a ripple effect that was like I could potentially miss my connecting flight, which was my no- number one biggest anxiety because I was like, okay, I already was picturing not worst case scenario, but like trying to problem solve in my head. And I'm like, okay, the worst thing that can happen is my flight gets um, like I don't catch my connection and then I'm going to have to catch another flight. And then what if it's tomorrow? My biggest thing was to be able to keep my 24 hour uh, test to be valid in order to enter the U.S. and not take another test with the risk of for whatever reason testing positive even if even though I felt fine. But my biggest fear was like, okay, I'm going from Italy to Germany and in Germany I'm going to test positive if my ticket or if my test is no longer valid and therefore I'm going to potentially there's there's this risk that I could be stuck in, in Germany. Because everyone around you was like, test every day because every day you might get a positive. Right. Yeah. Instead of just trusting that – well, and because You'd it's like it. you know you have this 24-hour window, which it's not it's, – it's also confusing because people are like, well, I leave today and then like I arrive tomorrow for there. But it's like people get very convoluted with like the minutia of the detail of like what – when does the 24-hour window expire? Is it 24 hours from when I took the test or is it – you know, like so you – Fear, stru- fear, fear, stress, yeah. stress, stress, anxiety. So yeah. e- everything becomes a big problem, you know? Yeah. So – Anyways, I uh, come to terms that I have to get on this bus, which was a whole thing in itself for me because while I was in Italy, I walked everywhere. I didn't take any public transportation because, yes, I was fearful, but more so I was cautious because I was like, even though I'm here, even though I'm, you know, in this, you know, taking this trip, I still want to be back home when my ticket says I'm supposed to be back home. So I was acting with extra caution because my whole goal was to be able to come back home. And so, okay, so now I know I have to get on a bus with like, I don't know, over 50 people in order to catch my flight. And I was like, okay, that's what I have to do. But um, should I talk about the woman I met? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. I mean, that's the whole thing, right? That's like part of like this whole, it's actually, yeah, the culmination of this whole story. So as I go wait in the waiting area where everyone, not just for my flight, but all the passengers were being um, held in order to get on the bus, um, 
there was an information desk. And at this information desk, like, obviously, people, after they get their boarding pass, they have all these questions. When's the bus coming? Do we know? Will the plane wait for us? And all these things. And I saw a woman in a wheelchair with her son in a stroller and this elderly woman who I later find out was her mom. Um, And I hear her speaking English and Italian and just, like, asking all these questions. And I'm over... I'm listening because I'm like, oh, maybe like I'll hear information that I need. So I hear her say that she's going to be on the flight that I was that I was going to be on originally going from Florence to Frankfurt. And I I get this idea and I'd already Google like how much is a taxi from Florence to Bologna. And so I said to her, I said, hey, I overheard sorry to eavesdrop, but I overheard that you're going to Bologna as well. And I think that we're on the same flight. Are you going to Frankfurt? She's like, yeah. I'm like, my ultimate destination is LA. She's like, oh my gosh, me too. I was like, oh. So right away, we realize our entire um, route is the same. And I was like, well, I have this idea to take a taxi. Would you want to split it with me? She's like, oh, that's a really good idea. We later weren't able to execute on that because we find out that even if we're there, the rest of the passengers for that flight need to arrive. So it was null and void. And so I was like, okay, whatever. But I start talking to this woman and she's in total despair because I later find out that, number one, she'd been traveling since December 13th with her son. She got injured and that's why she was in a wheelchair because she got a herniated disc in her back, something around something that happened during her travels. Um, And she was supposed to return back to the U.S. January 13th, but everyone told her, and I caught wind wind of this information too, that on January 1st there were going to be like specific lockdowns in Italy and that like people weren't going to be able to leave and that Mm. um, just like things were going to get serious, like they they weren't going to reopen the schools and just like all these things. And so she's like, my... She's like, I got information, so I like, I need to get out of here to go back home to um, to L.A. And so her and I just become friends, and I was like, listen, like, I'm more than happy to help you. Like, even though she had assistance throughout her entire um, journey um, at each stop that someone would come get her and take her in the wheelchair and stuff, like, she still had a stroller with a three-year-old. And I was like, look, I – it's just me. Like I have two kids at home. I totally understand like that this must be really difficult for you. Like, let me help you. And so we became friends. And, um, in that moment I was like, I know I met this person just because like we were like, I mean, a a whole slew of reasons, but in the moment it was like, I knew like, this is my like divine lesson and just like the universe having my back because, Fast forward, she basically ended up being the reason why I was able to make, well, we missed our connection in Frankfurt, but we were able to get on one of the three other flights coming to the U.S. And I'm certain that without her being in a wheelchair and, you know, just having that expedited assistance to go through security check, like we had to get our luggage, even though it was um, already ticketed to go all the way to L.A., um, we had to still go once we arrived from the bus to go check in our bag and like just like a lot of like details that if you're injured and in a wheelchair and have a three-year-old it's like just so much to deal with so um I forget why I went into that but um 
you were supporting her. <laughs> yeah, I was supporting and, her. And it reminded me, her meeting her and her son, like, even though if you think about it, it, it's added stress, right? Because I don't have to just think about me. I'm like committing to being someone else's resource. It actually calmed me because it brought me down to realizing like what matters, right? And there was so much um, just like human connection. Like with her, she was just like, emotional crying just to find that she's crying and like oh i'm sorry my and her son is three years old a boy so super hyperactive and just like um you would imagine like bouncing off the walls like it honestly when i saw her i was like that's gonna be (laughs) a lot to deal with but he's like just i mean he did the best with what he got you know and he was just such a sweet little baby eating his cookies like not screaming, not crying. Like, yeah, he had his moments, of course, rightfully so. But um, meeting her just like, I mean, really made me think about my kids and stuff. And I was like even more determined to like get back, like no matter what it took, Hmm. find another ticket and all this stuff. And yeah, just meeting her was like the obvious like universe throwing at me just – a situation that um, really helped me in the end, not just because of the convenience of like, oh, she has support and therefore we're getting through the airport quicker. Um, But moral of the story, we take the bus, we get on the flight that was like three hours late. As we land in Frankfurt, we get a notification that our flight had left for LA. We see that because of COVID, because of weather conditions, there's only one flight per day going to LA and that there were three other flights potentials for coming back to the US, which was our number one main goal. Um, And we were able to get on a flight to Houston and then from Houston to LA. And it was in itself a very long journey, like 33 hours. But in the end, I did make it home. I did make it home safe. Yeah, it was totally safe. Um, And I was just so happy to be home and so grateful. And so like this whole story minus the moments of stress and anxiety, which were so many, especially in that last part of my trip for the travels to get home. um, It also brought me back to a lot of gratitude because I landed on New Year's Eve at 11.30 and I spent midnight in the car with my husband like seeing the fireworks from the 405 in Long Beach and it was like like I literally don't want to be anywhere else and I literally (laughs) like I love this this is great I got home it was like 12 a.m and I'm unpacking my bags on New Year's Eve which like we usually have so many stories around what we're supposed to be doing for the holidays and stuff and New Year's Eve like what are your plans and all these like ideas and it was just like the simplicity of unpacking my bag being able to like do my laundry have a washer and dryer available take a hot shower with no like expiring time that the water is going to become freezing cold after 15 minutes because that's how it works folks in Italy like they have a water boiler and once that water is boiled and it's consumed like you have to wait for it to re-get hot before you get a hot shower and so 
just these simple things I really was able to find gratitude in um, once I arrived too. <laughs> That's everything. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Takes a while to unwind from that. Yeah. And current state also um, I remember talking to you like when I got back and I'm like I'm not okay which also like so there's a couple things minus like the gratitude that I felt right when I got back and just appreciating the simple things like my washer and dryer and the hot water Um, I also just started realizing like when like a lot of people were texting me and like how was your trip how are you doing and I wasn't going to and I didn't fluff around like oh I'm good things are fine you know I just yeah I just like own like I'm not okay (laughs) and this is why and even when I started work which like I arrived and then like I went to work that Monday a couple days later and my boss was like, how was your trip? And then, you know, I told her about the difficulty of uh, just like my return. And, you know, she was great and compassionate and all that. And she said to me, because it was a video call, she said, like, I could see, I could see you, like, you're, you're different. Like, I could like tell. I could see it in you. Mm-hmm. Oof. So... While that situation was kind of an extreme, right? That's not like an everyday stress thing, right? Like we're not navigating that every day, thank God. Um, Unless you're Harry Potter. (laughs) We watched like a couple Harry Potter movies last night. So yeah. And Ashley was so distraught that like, like, why why do I keep getting in trouble? Like, And why is Harry always getting the bad end of the stick? Anyway. Um, so even though we're not like that level every day, of yeah, 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 it's it's still the residue of it lingers, and you got to have practices to pull yourself out. And so, alternatively, I was <laughs> on the East Coast. Um, I was navigating things that were more so everyday stress and anxiety things um, that hit me like a wave similarly to what you were going through, obviously not on the extremity, but um, it was similar and I still felt a lot of defeat. Mm. And I think, to be honest, the way that I was communicating with a lot of our close people, we were not alone in feeling like, what is going on right now? And it was almost as if there was so much expectation for these holidays to be so glorious because the last year was so challenging with the pandemic and people not being able to see their families. And then this expectation that all of a sudden we would wake up January 1st, different people. (laughs) (laughs) And then we realized, Oh yeah, I'm like still the same person (laughs) that the external pressure of that, at least for me created kind of like a lingering cloud that didn't really go away and our stuff. I mean, I've talked about the house so many times on this podcast, but we previously thought that we were going to have to literally tear our entire ceiling down, replace all of our HVAC duct work and insulation, do like remediation on some of the wood and the mold up there and all this other shit. 
just to find out when I was down there that actually like none of what we thought was true. There was no mold. There was no actual issue at all, period. And all we had to do was repatch like a hole in our ceiling. And so Chad and I had spent the last like three months like incredibly stressed about not being able to rent our house for like many, many, many months and having to pay an insane amount of money to like get some repairs done when we had bought this house as an investment and we were expecting everything to go smoothly and we went through every single emotion. We went through blame on our real estate agent and our inspectors for not catching the problem. We went through anger and frustration. We went through why us just to find out that it wasn't even a thing. And and what sucks is that it had to not be a thing for us to not feel crazy about it. Hmm. And to just take responsibility for the fact that this is something we could have navigated in so much of an easier way. Like all of the what ifs put us into a very unknown space of challenge and anger and emotion, but we didn't even have any guarantees about what we were worried about. And so that's kind of what I want to take it back into this stress and anxiety thing is that on a daily basis, a lot of the things that get our feathers ruffled are what ifs. They're not factual. They're not true. They're not real. They're what if this happens, then I won't be okay. I actually saw this video by Simon Sinek where he says that humans are programmed to not hear negative information. He goes, for example, okay, I'm going to tell you to not think about an elephant. He's like, what's the first thing you think about? An elephant. Yeah. Right? So like we don't want – in order to get away from discomfort and – it's like we play out all these situations in our brain of the worst case scenario. Like we go straight to the worst case scenario. And then we're in discomfort anyway. Yeah. So no matter what, you're in discomfort. <laughs> but how how discomforted are you? Because now <laughs> you've thought about like a million worst case scenarios that you're just riled up for no reason. Riled up. Well, and so being out there, I was like, oh, I'm going to get all these like work things done because I'm going to have so much time on my hands and there's going to be all these amazing things that'll (laughs) get done. And I was out there and I was like paralyzed. You know, I was just kind of like there was just so much other stuff that I needed and really I needed to shut down for the holidays, but I was so concerned with all the things. And it got to a certain point where not only was Chad was stressed about some work stuff, I was stressed about business stuff. We were both stressed about the house stuff. I was far away from my family. My family was homesick, just really my mom and my brother. But there were there was all these things going on that gave me a reason why I should just not take care of myself. There was so many reasons why I couldn't think peaceful thoughts. And I gave myself every out from that too. And at a certain point, I just got so, so sick of it. I was like, I literally have to shift something right here, right now, or nothing's going to change. 
And I felt it starting to deteriorate on me. And, and here's all the ways, ways I noticed it. It was, I was waking up not feeling okay. I was no longer really prioritizing practice and meditation, even though I was like teaching and stuff. And then my eating habits started to get really poor. And not that it's not okay to like have that experience where you're where where the like the things that you put in your body like once in a while, you know, we have these ups and downs in, in our relationship with food or, you know, during the holidays or what you know, whatever excuse we want to give. It's just when you're not feeling good and then you put not good things in your body and then you blah 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 and it just starts to spiral. So As a leader and a teacher in our community, I was like, I need to set this example. I need to set this example. I need to set this example. And then I'm like, no, I need to have fucking grace with myself Mm. and just chill the fuck out and make a different decision around the way that I'm speaking to myself, the way I'm interacting with myself, the way I'm showing up with myself instead of allowing all of the people around me that were navigating similar feelings create even more feelings within me. So really, where do we say enough is enough to stress and anxiety? Well, it's interesting because what you just, uh, what you just shared is kind of like this spiral, right? Like if we're not resourced to really tackle and know how to, like, know what our truth is, and also know like enough is enough or that we are in a situation where we are out of alignment that we just keep going down a negative spiral of I'm mentally not okay like my diet is suffering my nutrition is suffering my I'm not moving my meditation so we just like go into a negative spiral and it's like when do we say it's it's like it can make a big difference of I'm actually going down this spiral and like how do I get myself out because I think that what you just shared is you know grade a example of like what a lot of people go through but it's like a lot of people don't say enough is enough they just keep going down and just they're on their knees and at that point they're like, how did I get here? Yeah, and that's the biggest thing is that a lot of times we don't ask for help, reach for help until we are on our knees. And that's okay, right? Like it's like the ebb and flow and that reminds us that we need practice and blah, 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 blah. But at a certain point, it's really important that we decide enough is enough before it becomes to the point where we are on our knees. Yeah. I have a friend that um, has major anxiety daily and she buys so hard into her anxiety and she's like fully aware of it that like her partner literally had to say to her, you have to believe that you can not be this way because if you don't believe that you cannot be this way, you will always be this way. And her partner's just like, I can't see you suffer anymore like this. And so, (laughs) Augie's giving Julia a little poke poke. In my butt. He doesn't want you to suffer. (laughs) Oh, baby. Baby. I love you. So, 
Let's talk what that actually that what that process actually looks like. Because I want our people and ourselves to actually feel fully equipped to understanding that. And uh, I remember you sent me a podcast while we were out, and it was that it it was I, I was only able to get to the first uh, fifteen twenty minutes um, because of flight stuff on my way home. But essentially, it talked a lot about how research shows you can't just wheel your way through shit. You can't just be like, I don't want to do that anymore, so I'm not going to do that anymore. No, it's most of our life we're living on autopilot. And so where does autopilot come from? It comes from our programming, our conditioning, what we're taught to do throughout the day, how we're taught to respond, our stress reactions, our defense mechanisms, how we navigate things, how we're taught to deal with this, et cetera, et cetera. Comfort for sure. And so if you could be on autopilot and and find something that – is unpleasing to you and then go into anxiety, you could also be on autopilot and find something that comes to you that displeases you and go into peace. But what is that gap? It's practice. It's practicing to show up differently over and over and over again so that it becomes natural. And while it's nice to have an autopilot version of yourself that finds peace naturally, it still is something that needs to consciously be implemented. So... Meaning even if it becomes autopilot, even if it becomes easier, your standard, your way of being is a little different than maybe someone that doesn't have those tools, right? But it doesn't mean that you don't have to still keep investing in it, up-leveling it, paying attention, doing things that make sure that you're in alignment with what you want and, and where you're going. So whether it's meditation practice, whether it's doing less, whether it's observing your responses in throughout the workday – whether it's feeling a negative emotion and deciding to either judge it or welcome it in and feel through it, right? And that's like consistent. It's every day, every day, every day, all the time, you know? Yeah. And that podcast you're talking about is – it was specifically around – like if I, I had to name the topic, it was around habits. And what you're talking about is also creating – because I think for me, like, the craziest thing is, like, we want all these big things and, you know, so many things are kind of abstract and obscure, but it's like we keep doing the same thing, right? Nothing changes if nothing changes. So it's like we're in autopilot most of the time, but we want to get to, you know, a different state, a more successful job a more whatever I want to create this um, business idea or I I want to journal every day like it could be literally a whole slew of things that someone wants to um, implement but it's like or it could be getting out of like a toxic cycle in a relationship or like dealing with your in-laws you know like I was like around my partner's family the whole time you know and we have people that we love and know that are in cycles. Like they're, it's like vicious cycles with relationships, with waking up and feeling a certain way, waking up and feeling a certain way, waking up and feeling a certain way. And, and what does that take to break that? A different habit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like the discomfort of doing that habit has mm. to be, Oh yeah. Has to be less uncomfortable than the discomfort of doing the negative habit. Right. 
And so just to break that down and iterate on that a little bit more is that when you're doing something, even if it's toxic or negative, meaning like having stress, responding with anxiety, even though that doesn't feel good, it's also familiar. And I think we've talked about this before on another podcast is that the familiarity of it gives validation of it. So it's like you don't always recognize it as bad because you're like, oh, this is the place I always go. So it's fine. This situation happened. So it's normal that I feel this way. So we accept it. Right. We wouldn't maybe go to journaling. We maybe wouldn't go to meditation or we wouldn't go to taking a breath or we wouldn't go to just being like, I'm going to surrender right now. I'm going to put a pin in this and come back to it. And a lot of times when you come back to it, it feels so different. Maybe we don't do all those things because the discomfort of doing that is not only also uncomfortable because it's new, it's also unfamiliar. So it's this thing that maybe we stay in anxiety or stress because we've been conditioned to think that that's our natural way of being. Mm Mm-hmm. Like we're supposed to feel stress. We're supposed to feel anxiety. It's healthy. It's a guidance system. It teaches us what we're supposed to do and not do. It teaches us what we like and don't like. However, when it's happening from unnecessary things on consistent basis, it starts to wear and tear on our body systems, our mind, and our emotions. Yeah. So considering that this podcast is called Evolving Us, it would make sense that we would want to evolve that way of being. So what are some tips that we can give our listeners that we utilize and or strategies that we've implemented to make change? Practice, 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 practice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like like you can't do it once and think it's going to stick. And the way that you practice it is you notice when you feel the emotion arise and you decide, you de-identify with it. You say, this is not me. I don't have to choose this. And it's almost like a zooming out in that moment. Oh, I see this happening right now and I'm going to see it from the observer position instead of being identified and associated in it. Okay, I'm seeing this happen. Do I have any other options? And a lot of times it's it, the ego self wants to be attached to that, like the need to be right, the need to be in it, the need to huh, throw a fit, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. But then when we zoom out, we realize, okay, cool, like while I want to be right right now, like for example, you know, maybe you're in an argument with your partner or maybe your boss says something you don't like or you're interacting with a client that you're like, this didn't go the way that I wanted it to go. Maybe in that moment, you don't respond with what you want to respond to. You instead pause, give yourself some space with your emotion, and then respond differently. And then when you see your ability to do that, you connect this feeling of, of confidence, of knowingness that I can do this, and then you practice it over and over and over and over and over again. And then instead of feeling stressed about a situation, you realize you just have options in a situation. And while worst case scenario is good because it prepares us, you can never really prepare for what's going to happen because you literally just don't know. That's why you have to have like the core foundation to know you have options and how you act or react because you never know when you're going to be in a situation where your flight's rerouted and you have a (laughs) 33-hour journey back home, you know? So like the foundation of like, being able to have 
resilience versus breakdown and just like overcome a situation comes from having the foundation to know that you can, your resource to find solutions essentially, right? Yeah. Well, and you have to find what works for you too because every practice is different for every person. So like let's just say you have a habit of going down a negative spiral and thinking worst case scenario when something comes up. Mm. Let's just say that you're like, okay, I'm going to try this new practice. Before I do anything, say anything, feel anything, I'm literally going to count to 10 and take five slow deep breaths and that's it. That's your strategy, right? And then you keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it and you create a little bit of space between stimulus and response you then actually give yourself a chance to recognize if stress and anxiety is the path you want to go down. But it's like you got to keep doing that every single time because that's your practice, right? Mm-hmm. Or if you're someone that that needs you know, an immediate answer, maybe you equipped yourself with communication skills that are like, oh, wow, this is interesting right now. Um, I'm going to process with this and I'm going to get back to you when I know. And then you just create a little space. Once again, it's 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 creating that opportunity for you to catch yourself and put something different in anxiety and stress's place. Yeah. Yeah. Those are all great strategies. What are ones that you use? Lots of breathing. <laughs> <laughs> breathing. Breathing is so good. I mean – Minus like what my routine looks like with like, you know, movement and meditation. I think that when I have a stressful situation, like, I don't know, the kids do something that I don't want them to. And it's all in the same moment that you have to take a meeting and there's dishes in the sink and the kids are freaking out and there's like all that pile up, right? Yeah. I mean, I just decide to surrender and I, I like I take a breath. Like I see when I'm like really getting riled up, I'm just like... Not going to go there. I literally say it out loud. I'm not going to go there. Yeah. Another technique that we haven't mentioned yet, and well, you mentioned it around reaching out to me saying I'm not okay, but reach out to someone. Say, hey, I'm in a space that doesn't feel good. Can you help me reframe this thought? Like get yourself some resourceful people in your life that love you, that you love, that you have a built, you've built a strong foundation with that you know that they're going to, they're not going to bullshit you. They're not going to placate you. They're not going to spiral out on your story. Oh my God, that's so interesting. Then what did you do? No. You want someone that's like, hold on. You've got this. You're brave. It's going to be okay. How can I help? You know, like something like that where you've got people that can can call you out and interrupt your – it's a pattern interrupt mm-hmm. because the pattern is – and it's like, ha, halt. We are going somewhere else right now because you deserve it. Yeah, and I, and I think within that is just like write it down, text somebody, make it real to shift it because once you claim it, it's like whether you're just like, you know, venting to a friend via text or a call or whatever or you decide to like journal about something, it's like you're making it real and then it's like you're ready to tackle it in a way, right? Instead mm-hmm. of being in your spiral or pity Disempowered party. Disempowered state. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, another thing that I find to be incredibly valuable, and it's not necessarily valuable in the moment of stress. It's it's uh, like long-term chipping away at learning how to retrain your systems is spending more time doing things that promote relaxation because our nervous systems are so overstimulated with what we're experiencing in today's society and culture and the not enoughness, the go, 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 the, you know, work 10 hours a day, like all these things that we're conditioned to feel is that like someone else is always doing more than you, et cetera, et cetera is if you spend more time doing nothing, spend more time in peace, in quiet, in relaxing your body and relaxing your mind, you've strengthened your connection with that part of your nervous system so you have better access to it in the moments you need it. And so here are examples of that. Um, We went to the spa yesterday. It was freaking delightful. Mm. And while we were like hot, cold submersion, we got body scrub, after a while we like laid out on these beds And we were like, oh, well, what are we going to do now? And then we just like all kind of fell asleep. (laughs) Like it wasn't falling asleep fully. It was kind of like a yoga nidra style where we were just sensing our bodies. But there was nothing. There was no speaking. It was just quiet and peace and calm. It was low lit. And we just laid there and paused. Or practices like yoga nidra, which is, um, for those of you that don't know, it's called yogic sleep. And it's sensing your body. You literally just close your eyes. You prop your head up. And you start to flood your body with joy and light and health and um, well-being and gentleness. And you start to reconnect with the part of your body that actually is the rest and digest part that heals your cells and things like that. Obviously, meditation is incredibly important. Getting eight hours of sleep or more for some of you, less for others. But truly, like sleep is one of the most – like the best parts of – conditioning ourselves to not feel stressed during the day because we are actually rested. We're not running on scarcity. We're not running on empty. Um, And then also being more present, like when you're with people you love, spending time like making sure you're not on your phone, um, just human connection can really help regulate your nervous system too. Um, Maybe throughout the day if you feel restless on your computer and your work day, like closing your computer, laying on the couch for like five minutes or ten minutes or just sitting and pausing and breathing, putting your hands on your body to just feel yourself, um, being more present in general. I think those are also great ways to navigate everyday stress and anxiety, even though it's, again, not in the moment, but it's setting you up long term for having more access to those resources. Maintenance work. Yeah. Maintenance work. That good, good. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add? I think that wraps us up on everyday stress and anxiety, even I, though I think so. Hoo, hoo, hoo. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. Please um, like, share, subscribe. And if you have anyone in your life that you think would benefit from this, please do share it. We're all about making sure that resources are around and available. Um, we also have a really awesome uh, New Year's challenge coming up. New Year, new me. Woo! <laughs> JK. <laughs> Lame. Yeah. Um, it's called Reset and it starts on January 18th and uh, essentially it shows us the polarity of really, really strong, intense workouts and then really, really deep rest as well as fueling your body with nourishing food. So what that looks like is two weeks, um, 6 a.m. hit classes with intention setting. And then um, in the evening, it's Yoga Nidra, which I just talked about a little bit. And then we also have um, a nutritionist on board who's giving us guidance and recipes and also talking about food psychology and the way we interact with how we fuel our bodies. Um, It's funny, in my 300 hour, we were talking a lot about uh, tamasic energy, which this is like another concept, but tamasic is like heavy 
depressive energy, slowing down, just kind of like low to the ground. And what my what my lead was saying, my facilitator, is that when you've got that heavy energy, sometimes the best thing to do is do really sweaty, hardcore, intense, challenging workouts because it really shakes things up within you and it moves energy. I mean, the body is so deeply connected to our emotions. So I find, and for me, I find that when I have the polarity of really strong challenge and then also really deep rest, it makes me more balanced between. So that was the the idea and the concept behind um, this challenge. And it's all virtual. It's all online. So wherever you are in the world, you can do it. Um, classes are live, but we also post recordings so you can take them whenever you want. And as you guys know, we have like a baller community that we do WhatsApp chats and people support each other. We have small groups and you get to really plug in and connect with people on this journey. So, uh, we'd love to have you guys join us for that. It's on the website, ashleyshubert.com slash reset. Uh, Julia will be leading a small group too. So, um, you're just going to get the best of all the worlds. Can't wait. Can't wait. It's going to be the best. Anyway, guys, have a wonderful week, and we love you so much, and uh, we're so excited to get back on here again. Yay. Bye-bye. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.